This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hi, Blue Wire listeners. I'm Greg Olson. I'm excited to partner with Blue Wire to bring you TE1, a podcast where I interview the tight ends who have revolutionized the position. Listen in as I have raw, in-depth conversations with the all-time greats like Shannon Sharp, Tony Gonzalez, Travis Kelsey, and George Kittle. We'll explore how the tight end position has changed over the last 60 years and what it takes to be the very best. Subscribe to TE1 from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. Hey, this is your Olympic hero, Kurt Angle, and you're listening to Top Rope Nation. Oh, it's true. It's damn true. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. I finished these fights. Give me a hell yeah. Top Rope Nation. Learn to love it. It's the best thing going today. What's up, guys? It's Monday morning. This is episode 162 of Top Rope Nation. It's Ryan Drosty here of comicbook.com. And we've got kind of a special show for you again uh, this time out, just like on Thursday morning when the show featured uh, myself and Justin doing a collaboration with our friends over at the Two Jabronis podcast. Today, I got another collaboration for you. Uh, I actually sat down with our friend Garrett Gonzalez from the Fight Game podcast, another one of the Blue Wire uh, pro wrestling podcasts, and we had a great discussion. I think you're really going to enjoy it. We talked about the WWE names that have jumped to AEW and if they've worked out well or not, as well as you know some of the independent names that have come into AEW. A really good uh, discussion that was kind of brought on by, by some of the topics that we talked about on Thursday's show. Garrett also, at the beginning of the broadcast, he wanted to uh, kind of chat me up a little bit about my history in regards to how I got into covering professional wrestling and writing about professional wrestling, which I have been doing now for a little bit over 20 years off and on. That was a really good trip down memory lane. I really enjoyed it. Uh, Not something that I've talked a lot about here on Top Rope Nation, so I think you guys will maybe even learn a little bit more about myself as well from that section of the show. So I'm going to present to you here my conversation with Garrett Gonzalez from the Fight Game Podcast. If you enjoy the show, I would highly recommend you guys throw a subscription and a follow over to the to our good friends over at the Fight Game Podcast. So with that said, let's get to the show. All right, as promised, bringing on Ryan Drosty, who is the host of Top Rope Nation, also part of the Blue Wire Podcasting Network, part of our wrestling... What does what is, what is, uh, BJ call us? The Wrestling Pod Squad or something like that? The Pod like that? Squad, yeah. <laughs> so what's up, man? <laughs> Not much. Uh, 
just got done watching SmackDown, actually. So I was covering that over on comicbook.com and uh, jumping right on the mics with you. So, hey, no place I'd rather be. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. You, I mean, you're on my list, of course. I I, I wanted to I wanted to at least do shows with, you know, all of us who are on the Blue Wire podcast network. But I'm actually intrigued at folks who are who I consider sort of content creators. Like you have a writing background, you have a podcasting background, and you know, you do it in 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 wrestling, which is is fun, but it's 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 sort of a, a passionate, really passionate hobby. But it's not like it gets quite as many eyeballs as if you like did sort of the same thing on the NFL or the NBA. It's really like a little bit of a more niche thing, and you know we're 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 in this too with the Fight Game podcast. But um, I kind of yeah, I was just interested in your background. Like, where did you get started in kind of the media aspect? Uh, obviously, it starts with you being a fan, but then when when do you actually get involved in doing some writing and and doing some uh, some podcasting stuff? Because I know you have a uh, a long history of doing this stuff now. Yeah. Uh, so I'm 36, but I've actually been writing about wrestling since the nineties, believe it or not. <laughs> that's, think, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. I mean, I was in high school when I started, you know, trying to dabble at, at covering wrestling a little bit. Um, and, uh, I guess this would have been 99 ish. I know the first site I ever wrote for was pro wrestle.com. I don't even know if it's still around anymore. I, <laughs> and I did a little bit on pro wrestling.com too, around that era. Oh, wow. So, and, and this is just you like reaching out to got to the people who run those websites saying, Hey, you know, I want to write recaps or I'm interested in, in doing something. Pretty much. Uh, it was it was fairly wide open. Back then, it was like the Wild West. <laughs> you know, apply, they'd give you a chance. I was a decent writer, you know, in high school. I always kind of wanted to do something with writing. Um, I did a lot of, like, sports writing on my own. And so I thought, yeah, I'll give it a try. I was a massive wrestling fan pretty much my whole life and uh, started dabbling at that. But I think when I really started doing it consistently... Uh, would have been around 2002, I started writing for WrestleView.com, which is still around. And uh, from about 2002 until I think around 06, I mean, I consistently wrote for WrestleView.com. I was like a co-webmaster there. Um, but then when I got deeper into college, you know, I just had less and less time to do that on the site. I mean, to be quite honest, I wasn't making any money at the yeah. time doing it. Yeah. It, was, it was all just free labor. Uh, and so I, I just kind of got out of it. And then uh, while I was in college, I was I was interested in in media and broadcasting, but I, I got my teaching degree, but I did minor in electronic media and journalism. So I got some training in you know audio production, video production, but and also writing, of course. And uh, I always kind of wanted to use that that minor, and so eventually, gosh, I guess I got back into it around. I, I would I would casually like go back to WrestleView because I had written for them so much, you know, years earlier that they would kind of just let me like come in without much notice and write if I wanted to, like I could throw in a column or something. Um, but it was like t- 2014. I decided, you know, I wanted to do this on the side, but actually make a little money doing it. So um, started started writing again for some paid websites. Um, like uh, Inquisitor, WhatCulture.com for a while. And I also started my own website around that time. I was running TopRopePress.com from 2014 until uh, about 2017. And I mean, as you know, running a website is very <laughs> <laughs> time-consuming. Oh, yeah. And 
I liked it. I mean, I liked having that, you know, I'm a creator. I like creating something. Uh, I was managing a staff. You know, I I never wanted people to write for me and not be compensated. So I was paying them. It wasn't a lot, but I was right. cutting them in on ad revenue and everything. Right. Honestly, the person that made the least amount of money on that website was myself. <laughs> but it was a labor of love. And, uh, but I, I mean, after doing that for years and years, I've got a family, I've got kids. It was like, if I'm going to spend my time doing this on the side, um, in addition to my teaching career, you know, I'm going to need to make some decent money doing it, you know, to, to actually dedicate my time for doing this. So at that point in time, I, uh, reached out to comicbook.com where one of my former writers on top rope press was actually writing at the time and they hired me. So I started writing for Comic Book, and then Comic Book was bought by CBS Interactive, um, I think in 2018, uh, or late 2018. And so since then, I've been working for CBS Interactive with ComicBook.com and at different times, PopCulture.com, too. They're both, um, you know, same ownership and everything. And But uh, yeah, I mean, and there's been other sites I've written for in the past too. At one point, I think I was telling you, I wrote for your friend Dave Meltzer at the Wrestling Observer. Um, I guess this would have been when I was also writing for WrestleView in like 2002, 2003, that kind of era as well. So is this for his old, old, old website that was like really just like a static page with links? Like that's what I remember of that website. Yeah. Yep. It was... uh, (laughs) I was I was recapping TNA Impact back when it was on like the Fox Sports Net channels uh, weekly, and I was doing it for WrestleView anyways. And Dave needed somebody to send in the reports for the Observer, so I, I basically took my WrestleView reports and I sent it in to him, and then he would publish it on the Observer as well. So this is re- this is even before social media, because like Twitter doesn't come into play until like. 2008 or something like that yeah and so when you're writing for the observer website which from a pro wrestling website like that website is getting a lot of clicks like how do you share this with your friends are, are we just emailing columns like oh i was i i did this thing check it out read it i, I like how are how are people how are you knowing that people are reading it like are you getting any feedback on this stuff I would um, I would always have my email address in the report. So once in a while, people would would send me emails. Um, <laughs> if you were critical of the TNA product, I remember TNA fans were very vocal about that that they didn't like that. Uh, but yeah, it was pr- it was pretty much just through email, uh, and I guess message boards as well. WrestleView.com they had a really active um, forums uh, message board community. And so there was a lot going on there, but you're right. I mean, like before social media, that, uh, that feedback was sometimes it was few and far between cause they didn't even have really like comment sections on the articles or anything. So you kind of, you had to get, get it through email. Um, I guess back then people were using like AOL instant messenger. If you put that in your report, I never did that. Uh, but it's pretty much just forums and forums and email, I guess. So you're going all the way back into the late nineties and I'm assuming that this is a product of the Attitude Era where your fandom just kind of goes out of control and up and to the right. And you're at an age where you can actually f- at least feel like you're a little bit closer to the business. What kind of fan were you? Were you the the smart Mark fan? Were you reading The Observer? Were you looking for websites which posted spoilers? Like, how involved were you at this at this point when you decided that you were trying, you know, you wanted to start writing for some of these websites? 
I was definitely kind of a smart marquee fan. I, I know, uh, like before I ever got the internet, I felt at the time, my family got the internet in 98. I thought we were the last people on earth to get the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, I remember just like begging my parents to get a computer. But before that, I was calling in, um, there was like a local city line number you could call and they had like a pro wrestling rumors oh, thing. Oh, wow. That you like once a week it would update. I remember when like Montreal Screwjob happened, they had updates on that. And I was calling in, you know, putting in the code for the pro wrestling news. This was free, but it was like this syndicated national like pro wrestling update. Uh, I want to say the guy's name was Blackjack Brown that did it. Uh, so, I mean, I was like getting the insider news even when I was like 13, 14. I wasn't like paying to subscribe to the Observer yet. Right, I did right. start getting the Observer when I was 17 and in 2001. Uh, but by then, I had already been writing a little bit. So, I mean, I was pretty much just... I was that, scanning I mean, that, what, what is that at that point? Are, are we paying... Let's see. It was like every four, four issues, like 12 bucks or something like that? Yeah. I, I used to go... I used, I didn't have a checking account. I remember to, to get the Observer, I used to go buy money orders at the local grocery store and mail it in. Oh, wow. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I was definitely, I was smart marky for sure. Like I was trying to get all the insider stuff when I was, you know, late teens, like fairly young. Uh, so I was, yeah, I was definitely up on, on all of that. What What is your first or what is your memory of like the first time you were like, oh, wow, I actually talked to someone who was sort of close to someone who was sort of close to someone in wrestling. Like, did you, what, what was that moment for you? So this is pretty incredible. But the first interview I ever did covering wrestling was Bobby the Brain Heenan. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, this was in the early 2000s. I, it was like 01 or 02. No, it was actually, it was 02 because I remember I emailed him and I said, you know, I was studying journalism I wanted to do an interview. I was writing for WrestleView.com, and and uh, you can probably Google it, Bobby Heenan interview on WrestleView.com. I think it's still up, um, almost 20 years old now. But wow. he like he emailed me right back, and he gave me his number like just like that. And so I called him. I I had to like go to Radio Shack during that era and get a a tape recorder that would plug into uh, a landline phone to record the <laughs> interview. So somewhere around here, I actually have the audio of that on a cassette. You had, to, you had to find it and put it up on your on your show. I should. It was a great interview, man. He he was hilarious. I mean, as you'd imagine, Bobby Heenan. He was hilarious and he was so nice and yeah, just what a great guy. All right, so you decide that you want to do the website. And then at some point, you're like, eh, it's too much time and, and not enough value. How does the podcast come out of this? And how long have you been doing the podcast? Yeah. So when I was with WrestleView, uh, I was always pitching the people that were running that website that we should start an online radio show. And it was very much influenced by Dave doing the IATA show mm -hmm. back then. Mm -hmm. And they didn't really want to do it. Uh <laughs> This was way before podcast took off, too. And uh, eventually, we did a couple episodes, and I was on them on WrestleView, but it never really took off. And then I left WrestleView, and then they started a radio network, and I was always kind of like, I just missed it if I would have stayed with the website a little longer. And I, yeah. I had always wanted to do a podcast. And so when I launched Top Rope Press, the website, and that's where the podcast name comes from, Top Rope Nation, I... I was always going to use it to help launch a podcast eventually. And so after running the website for like two years, we launched the podcast in the summer of 2016, uh, almost exactly four years ago now. And uh, 
It was it was me and then Kyle Ross, who is my co-host right now. He was writing for Top Rope Press, and he had experienced podcasting in the past, so he was kind of a natural fit for us. And then uh, our third host, Justin Joint, he's actually a friend of mine. I've known him for about 20 years. Um, we worked together at a, a local retail store when I was in high school, and he was a big wrestling fan, and we always stayed in touch. And um, one time, the show was about six months old, and uh, Kyle couldn't host that night. And I just casually said, hey, Justin, you want to fill in? Because he had been listening to the show. And he did. And he fit in perfect. And so I just kept him around. And we made it a three-man crew. And um, so we, we had the show going for, I let's see, a little bit over a year. And then I shut down the website to just kind of concentrate on you know freelancing and writing. Just, just writing, not also managing a website. But I wanted to keep the podcast going for sure. Um, but our, our podcast certainly experience a dip in numbers at that point because the website was pretty highly trafficked uh, and uh i mean like we were listening to google news we we did good hits uh and i always you know i would simulcast the podcast to the website uh you know put it on the menu or whatever and people mm-hmm. would just you know out of curiosity they would click on it we did a lot of downloads back then but when i when i shut the website down our numbers went way down on downloads so for the last couple of years it has been you know a lot of work to kind of regain that audience yeah uh and so we we put a ton of time and effort the last two years in, into doing that and then getting the opportunity with blue wire you know and, and partnering with other like-minded creators like yourself and like you know bj and jeremy over at two jabronis and uh chris van vliet who's been very helpful for us as well in the past um that's been great and it's it's really helped us out a lot where you know i can actually kind of see this thing taking off again and you know i think we're putting out quality content you guys are certainly putting out a ton of quality content i love listening to your show as well and uh, i'm pretty excited on where all this is headed i think and uh, the the jr interview i think was uh, a really good get for you because it was right before his book came out and um you know did you get a lot of feedback on that one like people you know i don't know i, I imagine jr kind of helped out with a retweet or two here yeah but what was that was that a good you know was that a good show for you guys as far as you know getting the show out there yeah oh absolutely that's uh by far since top rope press shut down at least in the era of not having a website pushing our show like that it's by far our most downloaded show he was great um you know, he 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 put out the link for that show multiple times. We heard from a lot of a lot of listeners. I think we garnered quite a few new subscribers from that show too. Because pretty much after that show dropped, we we saw an uptick in numbers weekly, where you could tell people stuck around. So that was huge. And I'm I'm hoping we get to do more things like that. I, I'd like to do a little bit more in the interview side of uh, of wrestling podcasting. So. Working on a few things here for the next couple of months, and hopefully some of those things uh, come to fruition. I have you have you met Jr. before? Because I know you had mentioned uh, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, but I don't know if he was there uh, and and had and had you met him before you did the show. I have, in fact, um, there's a guy named Brian Shields uh, who has written several books for WWE, who's a friend of mine, and he has been here to Iowa to the Tragos Thes Hall of Fame and received a uh, award one year, even. And he was here one of the years JR was here, and he kind of he knew JR from working on projects, and so he introduced me. This was several years ago, 
and I got to talk to him a little bit then. I didn't really keep in touch with him or anything. So, I mean, I brought this up before we went on the air when we interviewed him a couple months ago. I don't know if he remembered or not, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I have met him in, in person. And that's actually a really cool thing for us to have that Tragos Thaz Hall of Fame here in town because, you know, it, it's a good opening for us to meet people and potentially interview people. Unfortunately, it got canceled this summer because we were really hoping to do a lot of big stuff this summer with they were bringing in a lot of big names um, and hopefully those people agree to come back next summer as long as the pandemic has been controlled knock on wood but uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping to use the the local hall of fame which gets a lot of national attention to you know partner with the podcast a little bit uh, next time they have the ceremonies I've met JR I'm gonna say three or four times the most fun I've had with JR was at the Cauliflower Alley. I think it was, it's got to be like three or four years now. It was me, my partner, John LaRocca, uh, Meltzer, uh, Filthy Tom Lawler was at the table with us, Dave Dutra, who's a, who's a local Bay Area uh, indie pro wrestler, uh, maybe even our buddy David Ruby. I, there, but there was a bunch of us at the table. And um, Jr. was, I think he was the MC that year. It may have been because uh, I think Gene was supposed to do it, Mean Gene, but he got, he made, you know, maybe he got ill that weekend. But so Jr. was in a great mood because I had heard a couple of different stories about, you know, Jr. Sometimes he's in a really great mood. Sometimes he's in a mood where, you know, he's kind of goofing, goofing around on you a little bit. And other times I've heard, you know, he, he can, he, he, he can be a little down sometimes. And he was in such a great mood. He was coming over. You know, he he sees Meltzer and he's like, "Up, oh, uh oh, Meltzer's table." And he just kind of comes over and they talk. And then, you know, I was just I was just throwing lines at him about I don't even remember just to see, you know, just to kind of go back and forth with him. And that was a lot of fun. Like I really that was a great first impression of Jr. But then I've also seen a little bit of a more uh, a downside uh, of him. You know, this is not too late after his his uh, not too far away from when his wife passed away when he was doing stuff for New Japan, and we were having lunch and and I could just tell you know he was he was yeah he's a little down and and like you know not surprisingly and and you know but uh, so I've got like a couple of different you know versions of Jr. But you know he's he's a legend and. I still enjoy him on AEW, even if his role is a little different. But yeah, he, it's it's just cool to meet some of these guys. Um, you know that that you have your passion for doing this. Some of that passion is like, oh, I would love to talk to these people because I've been watching them my whole life. And the fact that you got to talk to Bobby the Brain is is awesome. And but you know the other side of this is that sometimes when you do get a little bit close. You know, there there are other parts of wrestling that you're like, oh man, I'm kind of glad that I'm not actually in the business because this is not this is not cool or this is kind of sad. All right, guys. Well, this has been a really fun discussion so far. We're not done yet, but before we go any further, we do have to throw a shout out to our good friends over at Bet Online and our brand new sponsors over at Deal Dash. Have you ever heard of DealDash.com? It's the best, most honest bidding site where you can win things you'd never expect at a price that you would never believe. They have over 1,000 auctions every day on electronics, appliances, beauty products, home decor, and even cars. Here's how it works. It's like an auction, but every item starts at $0 and it only goes up one cent 
every time you bid. The kicker is that auction clock restarts after just 10 seconds. That means every time you bid, everyone else has 10 seconds to answer or the item is yours. If you go ahead and buy now, DealDash.com is offering our listeners an extra 100 free bids upon sign up on top of their other discounts. Go to DealDash.com and use the offer code TOPROPE or DealDash.FM slash TOPROPE. That's D-E-A-L-D-A-S-H dot F-M slash TOPROPE. Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball finally kicked off this past week, and there's no better place to start wagering than our exclusive partners, Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, Bet Online sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Okay, okay, let's move on to talking about something uh, that we we were trying to figure out a, a topic, and you know, after we watched AEW's uh, Wednesday show, I started to notice that. I mean, not that I haven't noticed it, but you know, they are relying heavily on ex WWE guys. And you had made a comment on Twitter about uh, the former Zack Ryder, aka now Matt Cardona. A lot of people were a little bit negative on him being shown on TV on Wednesday. And I just wanted you to have a chance to explain what you thought about, you know, why is everyone sort of negative about this? Yeah, it kind of shocked me because, I mean, I know that Matt Cardona, Zach Ryder, he has this big following online. He has an incredibly popular podcast. He's got a really popular YouTube channel tied in with that podcast. And I've kind of always thought it was kind of the universal opinion that WWE really dropped the ball with him, you know, when he got really strongly over pretty much on his own with the, with the Z true long Island story bit. And, uh, you know, when I've, when I've looked at what WWE has done the last 10 years, and if you look at missed opportunities, I mean, I'm not saying he would have been like a headliner for years or anything, but they could have done more with him during that. You know, I, I always thought the booking of him with what happened with Eve and, uh, and John Cena was like, incredibly questionable (laughs) i mean this was a guy who was he was getting chance at shows during promos from the rock you know like he was incredibly over and it seemed like they just really went out of their way to not run with it when they had kind of a star on their hands and so i've been when he got released i've been personally like really looking forward to seeing what he was going to do on the independent scene or AEW. it always seemed like AEW is where he was for sure going to go he's really close with cody uh, and so to see him on there, I thought it was a great signing. I, I don't think that AEW should be super reliant on past WWE guys. And as we look at the names, we can we can do a discussion here on maybe who they shouldn't have signed and who has been a good signing. But I think Matt Cardona is a, just a very solid signing. I think he's got a lot of upside. You know, maybe it won't work out, but 
I think that that's a guy you definitely take a chance on. I mean, in wrestling, it's all about drawing interest, drawing eyeballs, making money. And this guy knows how to make money. I mean, he sells a ton of merch on pro wrestling tees. You know, he's he's got a, a large following on Patreon. He's got this, like I said, this really successful YouTube channel and podcast. So, I mean, to me, that's the kind of guy you want. He has this like very strong, organic following, like people, thousands and thousands of people that love the guy. So I didn't really understand why people would have a problem with that particular signing. But there, there are some others that... I could see why people would take issue, but this one I thought was solid. I mean, what what did you think? I agree with you for the most part. The thing that people don't understand, and I could see it if they are really WWE fans and nothing else, which is his what he does on the outside of, of WWE is really meaningless to WWE because they want everything under their brand. Like his podcast and how successful he is at that podcast, it doesn't mean anything to them because they don't, he doesn't do it for them. And so I get why WWE doesn't see any value in that. And really, the, the, the thing that cursed him was the fact that they were not pushing him and he got over in spite of them not pushing him. Mm-hmm. And he got over more than the people that they were pushing. So they looked at that as, well, how dare you? Like, you're not supposed to be over. So, you know, that, that kind of doomed him. But, um, I I think for AEW, they're the startup. They're they're the new company. They are utilizing a little bit more data to try and do things. And to them, what he can do on social media, what he can do in podcast, is valuable because they are a company that is doing two YouTube shows right now, and they're going to be doing a third one starting next week with the, the women's tournament. So. You know, WWE has their YouTube channel specifically to show clips of of their shows, and that's you know that's where they're going to get all of their YouTube value. But you know, they're 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 not going to get behind folks as social media personalities like AEW can. And I think he's going to be very valuable for them there. Now, how do you turn that into money? I think is is going to be a big deal because something that someone will watch on YouTube for ten minutes. It doesn't really translate into ratings or into pay-per-view buys necessarily. So they'll have to figure that part out. But I think that his value of what he is able to do outside of actual TV wrestling, I think they'll they'll be able to figure out how to monetize that better than WWE will, just because it's not really useful to WWE. They have you know they have TV contracts paying them two hundred fifty million dollars. What do they really care about? a million dollars a year in YouTube money or whatever. So, uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you. But let's, like you said, let's look at some of these other guys uh, who they've signed recently who either have come from WWE or not, because they have not only signed WWE guys. I think for every uh, maybe Luke Harper, who people were expecting to be really, really good with them, you do have a John Moxley. So I think that they get a little bit of a bad rap of the wins and losses from this standpoint, because if you look at John Moxley, you go, okay, that is uh, a plus out of the park home run signing. And you look at Luke Harper and you go, okay, like it, it, they tried something. It's not really working on TV. It may be a little bit of a longer play, but for people who watch being the elite, I think they get real value out of him, but that's 150,000 people watching that show versus the, 
you know, the 700 to 800,000 watching uh, Dynamite on a, on a weekly basis. Um, but, you know, what, what, what is your thoughts on, on Luke Harper? He, he seemed to be uh, the sort of the dandy of the Internet fans. Oh, once WWE lets him, you know, do his thing, he's going to show what, you know, what they've missed so far. And I, I don't I think the act, the Dark Order act limits him a little bit, but it's also kind of up his alley. So I understand why he's in this role. But yeah, you know, he's not knocking my socks off every week. <laughs> and he may he might simply be, you know, the the third member of a of a good group rather than the lead member. Yeah. I think I think that was always the concern with him is is the personality aspect. Cause he, he's a strong worker for a guy his size. And I think he showed that over and over. I, I agree with you. I don't think I don't think it's been great what's he, what he's done with Dark Order. Now, that was a group that they had been pushing, you know, for weeks and weeks and had never really taken off. And when he was given that role coming in, I was a little hesitant because it's like, you know, they've been they've been pushing this for so long and nobody really cares that is this already kind of hamstringing him to associate him with this act. And, you know, it could be part of it. I don't know. Uh, but he certainly hasn't. He hasn't lived up to expectations. It's not to say that he won't, uh, but I'm not. I'm not a fan of how they've positioned him with the group so far. Now, you know, maybe just because the personality aspect is a little bit more of a challenge for him, maybe they figured that putting him into a role in a group such as that would, you know, it's a dark group, so maybe he doesn't have to show as much emotion. Maybe that would help out. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't know if I could chalk that one up as a win yet, but. Uh, there's certainly a lot that remains to be written there, but right now I, I'd probably be a little more negative on it than positive. I think. I actually don't know if this is kind of out there in the ether, but I think, I think the Dark Order, like when you were talking about how they they were pushing them in the beginning, I'm not 100 percent sure, and I could be wrong, but I think this is like. You know, when you talk about creative, like who does what, we know that Kenny, it really has a hand in, in the women's matches. I think this was like a Young Bucks thing. I think this was like they were behind the creative of this. And it was right around the time where they all said that they were not going to be on social media anymore. And I think it was because they were, they were getting a lot of negative feedback and they probably took it a little bit personally. Or, you know, maybe they're just too busy to do it now. But I think this was one where they were really involved in the creative and it just wasn't working. Mm. And that is not to say that, you know, they're bad at creative. Like, it's one idea on a show where, you know, you're going to have so many opportunities to do more things. And yeah, The Dark Order is is not is not great. I think um, they they're positioning it constantly as a, you know, sort of a, a mid-level group and uh it probably fits better there but i don't know if you should be positioning luke harper at it with a mid-level group of kind of like goofy guys who nobody takes seriously right yeah uh, but i mean if if matt hardy is put in that group does that change anything do you think uh with the group as a whole yeah does it change where they are does it change the quality of uh, of the group, you know, Matt Hardy obviously has a little bit more of a um, his character leans a little bit closer to kind of the goofiness of that whole thing. I, I, I don't know that it does, but I know that I think Chris Jericho said on his podcast that the original idea was Matt Hardy. Yeah, 
I don't know that it does. It's so hard to, to gauge it right now without the live audience. I think Hardy was a guy that uh, was really hampered by the fact that they didn't have a live crowd when he showed up. Because you can imagine that moment with the drone and everything, like the crowd would have went just crazy when, when he when he showed up on Dynamite. And since he didn't have that kind of an intro, um, I don't know, Matt. I don't really feel like Matt Hardy's working that great on AEW either. You know? Well, he was gonna, he was going to be my next guy. Yeah, which I, is you know, uh, if if you are. I think he. I think he's worked in spurts. He worked really well in the in that stampede match that they did. He was awesome, but he's like, he's he's half of Matt Hardy in the ring, and while the personality is there, he can't solely rely on the gimmick uh, because he's gonna eventually have to get back in the ring. And then when you watch him in the ring, you're just like, ah, oh, I used to remember you know the Matt Hardy of old. So. I, I, I wish that they would pull back a little bit on his usage, which they might be, and really utilize him more in sort of that mentor role, maybe a little bit of a manager role, though they have 100 managers. I just don't want to see him in the ring because it's, it's pretty painful to watch him move around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay, what about... Here's another one that is a little polarizing, I think, because I really enjoy him. Lance Archer... Um, I, I think he's great. I really, and I don't know if I necessarily like Jake with him. Cause I kind of want to see more Lance than I want to see Jake at this point, mm. but because he lost the match to Cody, people feel like it took a little bit of shine off him, which I get, I, I, I get that. I understand it, but I just think he's so good at what he does that, uh, he, he can, he can take the weight of the loss. I just, I just don't exactly know where he is going to be pushed uh, at this point, how the, how AEW views him. All I know is when I see him on my TV, I, I'm really jacked and excited. And I hope, I hope that they can figure out whatever they are going to do with him because he's, he's, he, I think he's one of the, one of the possible stars of this, of this company. I agree. I think, I think he's been a win. Uh, I have, I have liked, I, I will say I have liked Jake Roberts with him, uh, but I grew up a huge Jake Roberts fan. So I'm a little biased, <laughs> but no, I, I love Jake too, but I don't like Jake. Jake is in it for Jake a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And so Jake's getting himself over. I don't know if he's getting Lance Archer over. Right. And, and that's kind of the job, but Jake's great. Like he's, he's an all time great when it comes to this stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I could see how people could make the argument that, you know, the Cody loss maybe hurt him a little bit. I felt like they kind of protected him though, in that finish. Uh, but, uh, it, it does kind of feel like since then he's just kind of been treading water. Yeah. So like almost like they don't know what to do with him. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I think, I think maybe, you know, that night I thought the criticism was a little bit overblown, but, uh, you know, maybe there's something to it now looking back, but, Again, we're in just such a, this weird era that it's just so hard to judge, you know, without the, that live feedback. But I do feel like I was probably into him a little bit more before that than I have been since. So there's probably something to that criticism. And then obviously the one that I think fits so well with uh, with their company is uh, FTR. They've they've come in. They've fit right in. They're, they've enhanced the tag team division. There's a natural competition with the Bucks. There's a natural competition with Kenny Omega, with uh, the Lucha Brothers. And, you know, the, the, you know, we look at wrestling as 
sort of teamwork. But within that teamwork, there is a little bit of that sort of who's the alpha dog. And I know FTR, you can just tell by the way that they've come in. Like, they definitely wanted to prove themselves, not only to the teams at AEW, but also to WWE. Like, look at, you know, look at what you guys could have had if you just took this stuff seriously. But I, I thought, I thought this was, you know, they, they, they could, they could, be a little, a little. There, there could be a little bit more to them when it comes to the personality, but they, they are shining to me. Oh yeah, FTR is a huge win. I think, you know, they had years of history with the Bucks, with you know all the references that have made on, on social media and with being the elite and everything. I think they had so much built in before they ever got there that it would be very hard to screw this up. <laughs> I think, uh, I think they've done a great job so far. I've always thought that those guys had a ton of potential that uh, WWE didn't quite capitalize on. And, you know, this this AEW tag team division is just insane, the amount of talent that they have in that division. So I, I'm really looking forward to uh, the next several years, really, uh, seeing uh, what they do there. I think that is completely an all-positive signing for sure. I think people were uh, super pumped when, when they signed. In fact, the day we interviewed JR was the day that their release from WWE was uh, – was announced it actually oh, yeah. across I the wire that. like an hour before we interviewed JR. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm gonna ask him about this right away. And I think I think Top Rope Nation, we got like the first comment from Jim Ross on the uh, possible FTR to AEW reports. So this guy's not a WWE guy. I think he was sort of on their radar, but Brian Cage comes uh, out of impact, you know. I've seen him in the Indies out here in the Bay Area for a couple years. How do you think he's been with uh, with them so far? He had the title match against Mox. Uh, he, you know, the Taz threw in the towel. What like he's a, he's an interesting one because from a personality standpoint, he's a little colorless. He's a little goofy, but the look is amazing. And you know, he, he he's a, he's a, he's pretty good talent talent in the ring. I don't I don't necessarily like. A lot of the high spot stuff that he does, because I just think he could work a little bit more like a big man. But there's obviously ta- there's obviously you know obviously talent there. And uh, how, how do you think he's done so far? I think they've booked him just about perfectly. I, I agree with you on, on the personality aspect. I think Taz has been the perfect manager. I think Taz has really um, excelled in that role. I think that when they had him wrestling Moxley. Uh, you know, I don't think there was any way that you could have had cage win that match. And so I think that the way that they did that finish with throwing in the towel and everything, that that was, that was a perfect way to do that. I think they protected him in that finish and, uh, kept him, kept him looking strong. So, I mean, I think so far he's come across as a big star and, uh, I guess the, my biggest, um, if there, if I was to nitpick, I wasn't a huge fan of the ladder match that he debuted in. I mm-hmm. thought they had a little bit too mm-hmm. much going on. But, uh, you know, since then, I think I think they've done a really good job with him. And I like the throwing in the towel finish, like I said. And it protected him while, uh, you know, keeping the world title on Moxley, which I think is what they needed to do. So, um, yeah, I think, I think all around, that's a win, too. I think uh, there's a ton of potential for him moving forward. He's got just an awesome look. So a right, couple more before I let you go here. And I'm going to group these guys together. So a few weeks ago, Ricky Starks debuts against Cody. Then Eddie Kingston debuts against Cody. And last week, Warhorse debuted against Cody. How, how would you, you know, I, I, 
I would like to know what you think about each guy and maybe just, you know, rank them against each other. But also the idea of bringing in indie darlings who have a little bit of a following to really kick off, you know, in, in some instances, kick off the show. But utilizing guys who are absolutely not WWE and trying to capitalize on a sort of a, a more of a social media kind of fan base to bring more eyeballs, like just those three guys. And then also just the idea of, of what they're doing strategy wise. I think it's a smart strategy. Uh, I think, you know, from the outside, you look at what they're doing with the open challenge and you might think that it might be better if it was more of a mystery until the guy arrived. But I think if, if you want to really capitalize, you you have to advertise it in advance, especially against guys like this who do have that online following, because then you can, you can, you know, pump up the interest in the match before it actually airs and, and pop up the rating a little bit. Um, I think you look at those three guys in particular, I thought, you know, what they did with Ricky Starks was really interesting. But then there was like no follow up for weeks. You know, he was pretty much relegated to AEW Dark for I think same, like I mean, three same thing, weeks. Same thing with Kingston this week, right? He had he was so hot, and then you yeah. didn't see him on this week's TV. Yeah. So I mean, I they really did a lot to you know uh, on commentary and everything to put over Ricky Starks, and then there was nothing, and then all of a sudden he was back in that tornado tag this week. Uh, I think the follow on that could have been a lot better. I. I also feel like when you do these open challenge matches, if every single time you do it, and this is something that Kyle on our show has said, if you do it every single time where in the end Cody wins anyways, I'm not sure that that's really doing the positives that you think it is for these guys. I think at some point, while you might not be able to have them win, like at least do a, you know, like time limit draws can help, (laughs) you know, or something like I don't if if it's every week that Cody wins and he just kind of pats him on the head like yeah good job buddy like I'm not sure that that is the best way to go about it. I would agree with you if this was um if it was like when Cody was a free agent. Like remember when Cody left WWE, he he went on the indie scene and he was like these are all the things that I want to do. I want to work PWG, I want to work the here, I want to work there. But people knew who Cody was, obviously, because mm-hmm. of his dad and because of his WWE run. So anytime he came into these indie shows, he was always either the main event or, or right near the main event. I think if Cody was facing a version of the 2016 Cody, then yeah, I think the matches should be more competitive and maybe you, you, know, you trade some wins and losses here. But the fact is, is that these guys, to the majority... Actually, I don't know the majority because I'm not. I, I don't know exactly the AEW dynam, uh, Dynamite uh, demo breakdowns, but I would say that you know Eddie Kingston, r- hardcore wrestling fans saw him either work on an indie show that they maybe saw a, a stream of, or maybe in person, or they saw him on NWA. I'm sure they may have, they remember him from from Impact, but it's not like he's coming out of WWE with this like gigantic. Um, you know, he, like he's world renowned coming in. And I think if you do get one of those, like let's say Rusev, and he, I was going to ask you about him in a second, but if Rusev came in into this open challenge 
and Cody beat him and pats him on the head as like, you know, good try, then I, I would absolutely agree with you. But nobody really knows Warhorse. Nobody really knows Ricky Starks, except for us diehards who watched him on NWA and some of the other stuff he's done. So, yeah, so I would agree with you to that if, it, if it's a bigger star coming out. And they may there may be some other ones, right? There may be, there may be some other folks who are out there, like a Rusev, who if he challenges Cody, like... Cody probably should lose that match. <laughs> yeah, I think I think of those three, uh, I think Warhorse was the least successful. <laughs> I think uh, Kingston was by far the best, and I'd put Stark somewhere in the middle. But I think my larger point is that if if you want to kind of not necessarily make a star, but like n- have people take notice, yeah, I think you know just doing like a draw is is a good way to do it i mean look at look at think, what happened with cody and darby allen i mean that kind of made darby allen i think you're i think you're right and i think it's coming but i think they're setting up that thing right whatever it is the next one who comes who is the the you know a bigger star than these folks then cody you know takes cody to a draw and then the next one after that is going to be the one that beats Cody. Like I think there's a little bit of a uh, of a trajectory here, but yeah, you're you're right. If you really want, I just I, I they probably don't think that that person is quite there yet, and maybe maybe the person that they're going to eventually have at, you know have um, answer the open challenges, Darby, so we can get that win finally. Mm-hmm. That, I mean that, that that could be what they're doing. Okay, last couple, which is because it just happened um, when you saw uh, Nyla Rose pick the purple token and um they said oh the someone else has picked the purple token and then we saw arion the former cameron from you know the the funkadactyl cameron like that that was a surprise i i, I laughed because i at, at like i you could have given me a hundred choices and i would never have picked cameron <laughs> for this role uh i'm not a fan of this signing that one was a big head scratcher for me maybe she'll prove me wrong and she'll be great and she's been really working to uh improve but you know based off of what i saw when she was in wwe i don't really see any upside here i think there are probably legions of more talented female wrestlers on the uh, independent scene that they could have brought in so that one was that was pretty shocking to me i i never saw much in her when she was in the wwe or even when i watched her on total divas (laughs) with my wife uh We'll see, but uh, and you know maybe I'll look like an idiot. Maybe she'll take off and be a star. I don't know. Prove me wrong. But as of right now, I that was probably the most head scratching signing for me of of all the uh, the so called WWE castoffs. I guess you could say. My only guess is that maybe she has like this crazy Instagram following or something. Like it could like, be. The, the, uh, do you do you um, do you remember? when she was on the Tough Enough reboot with Austin, mm-hmm. and she, like, literally made him, like... Like, yeah, I, th- I think he said, what, what's your favorite wrestling match? And she was like... Um, I, f- I forget the match that she said, but it was, like, a really bad women's match. It was a match. universally panned match. Yeah, right, and Austin yeah. just kind of looks at her, like, kind of walks away. It's like, oh, my, like, what are you talking about? Yeah. I mean, that that's Cameron, right? Like, that that yep. was her entry into the business, and... We'll see. I not not to say that she necessarily deserves a second chance because there are tons of people who deserve chances. But if they want to use her for this thing and see if if you know maybe she brings some sort of following, whatever. I, I don't really care. But um, you know they they they, they, they there is an opportunity to 
to to really highlight some folks. And I, I'm not sure. I, I think Cameron's had a lot of chances, so it's not like she hasn't had her chance. The last one I want to oh, I want to ask you about before we let you go. I think it's been confirmed that Eric Bischoff is part of the Jericho Orange Cassidy segment that was taped for this week's, this upcoming Wednesday's Dynamite show. Thoughts on Eric Bischoff being a part of the AEW TV show? So if it's a long-term thing, I think this is where you got to get very careful that you don't start appearing to be like impact wrestling was when they were bringing in everybody, including Eric Bischoff. Uh, if it's like a one-time thing, I'm fine with it. Uh, I don't know why you would bring in Eric Bischoff long-term because, you know, WWE just tried a year ago to do that <laughs> with the SmackDown creative. And from what someone told me uh, from WWE creative, I was told that he was never like, he was never around that he would just disappear when he was backstage at SmackDown and nobody knew where he was. Like he just wasn't very dedicated. So I don't know what his dedication level is to really help this thing grow. If they really want to get him involved. Uh, so, you know, like I said, if it's as a character and it's like a one-time thing or he's only there a couple times, I'm fine with that. But, uh, you gotta be careful. Cause you, you really don't want to get that appearance that you're just WWE light and you're bringing in all these people that used to be in WWE. I think, I think it's a fine line you have to walk and you have to look like, you know, you're really the true alternative. I really think that's where TNA went so wrong um, because if you look at TNA in the mid 2000s, like 2005 ish, they really had a unique product. You know, the early days of the X division when Samoa Joe and AJ were there and everything, and they were tearing down the house. They had like a true unique product compared to WWE and they just need more people to take notice and keep building that. But when they went the WWE light route, that's when they lost a lot of people and, and their reputation became kind of a joke. Uh, they're starting to, to say, you know, I called it a joke back then. They're they're starting to rebuild the reputation. I kind of like what Impact's doing right now. Uh, but during that era, I mean, certainly TNA did not have a great reputation. And I would hate to see AEW go down the line of, of doing too much of that because their audience is certainly the crowd that wants the alternative right now. And I think they've done a good job in giving a true alternative to WWE. So I do think they have to be careful in who they bring in. So, you know... <sighs> Was it surprising? A little bit, but I guess he was on that uh, YouTube show they did a few weeks ago. So they, they've had you know a little bit of a working relationship with Eric Bischoff. They brought him in for that. And I mean, he was on the Zoom call with Tony Khan and everything. So oh, yeah. I guess it's not super surprising, but I he was, I he was also the one time thing. He was also very negative yes. on Tony Khan prior yes. to that, which was kind of interesting. So I my thought on Bischoff is they want to inflate the rating. And so if you get the word out that Bischoff is going to be there, people are going to, you know, kind of check in and and maybe change that channel from NXT to, to see Eric Bischoff. But I will give credit to uh, my buddy Matt Prentice, who said they want to win the over 50. And so that was like, oh, perfect. Yeah, the, the one the one demo that they cannot win yep. is the over 50. And so let's bring in somebody who could maybe help them raise their over 50 demo, who is Eric Bischoff, who was doing, uh, you know, he, 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 he's been on WCW TV since when I was like a teenager. So right. that, that, that would work. And may, may, maybe I, I think Bischoff is an excellent performer. 
And if you use him sparingly, I think he can be very effective. But he does, you, you do tire of him very quickly, and he can get annoying very quickly. And he's just kind of, you know, kind of a liar and just in general when he does his podcast. But, you know, look, to, to win that rating, uh, you know, I, this we are in a, uh, as Dave Meltzer says to everybody, we're in a ratings war. That's how they look at it. That's how they, that's how they, basically validate what they're doing we are in a ratings war and this is part of that so i'm in but like you like you know if all of a sudden he's like you know he's he's on tv every week and then all of a sudden, oh yeah you know him and tony Khan are like having discussions in the back about certain angles i'm like oh no like this is the worst yes thing that please don't please do not do that yeah <laughs> all right man i i took up a, a lot more of your time than i asked for so i apologize about that but i had such a blast like you know we i'm a little bit older than you but just sort of the same kind of mentality growing up and in, in wrestling and doing the stuff that we we've been wanting to do so I, I like hearing that story I like hearing the you know the you know just sort of content creator stories and also just the fact that you know we're on the same team here with the blue wire stuff is is awesome uh, and we're gonna have to do it again because I had such a blast absolutely man collaboration among the blue wire crew is always fun and uh we will for sure do it again. We'll get you over on Top Rope Nation with the rest of the crew sometime. And uh, this will this will not be the last time. I really enjoyed it. All right. So people just find your podcast, Top Rope Nation, and putting it in Apple Podcasts and everything. And then what's the uh, Twitter handle for the show and your personal Twitter Twitter handle? Yep. So the show on Twitter is at Top Rope Nation. And you can find me at Ryan Drosty. That's D-R-O-S-T-E. All right, man. Thanks a bunch.